Hi, everyone. My name is Andrew Johnson, and welcome to the Great Design Lead podcast. I'm a freelance designer and writer, and my current projects include the marketing and branding for a consulting agency, as well as developing my first board game. Awesome. That was really good. Thanks. <laughs> well, thank, thanks for coming on, Andrew. Uh, Andrew pleasure. and I know each other um, uh, a long time. Uh, we were in uh, college together, which sounds weird to say in a past tense, because we oh, literally graduated does. like... A month ago <laughs> but um but yeah he uh it's it's kind of weird to um uh hear how other people remember you um and so it's weird when i hear it from other people and i'm sure it might be weird as i'm about to tell you <laughs> but uh how i remember you all through college was you were just always really really nice to me and you always like whether it was like letting me borrow your ruler out of your flat file or or anything like that like you were always really really nice and you always were able to have conversations with me that weren't just like about nothing you were <laughs> when we were in class we would actually like have fun conversations and you were interesting to me because you always you had like passions that you were really interested in and so talking to you about like board games and all that kind of stuff and and uh card games it was fun because I could tell that that was something you were authentically interested in um, and the, the projects that you did and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, I think probably, I don't know if, if I, I met you in class first or this is the other way that I met you, but I, a, a strong memory I have of you was freshman year in like 2017 when uh, you were playing this super, super long uh uh, Dungeons and Dragons game with a couple of the kids on my floor and I remember walking past you and then a couple hours later coming back I'm like you guys are still playing <laughs> so um so yeah that that's that's how how I remember you um but uh but yeah so right now right now you're working um mm -hmm. and uh and you also have some other cool projects going on but uh before I I start asking you a bunch of questions how does it feel like hearing how somebody else remembers you? Do you think that it's accurate? <laughs> well, uh, well, first off, let me say thank you for having me on here. It's a great, fun experience, and I'm super excited to be here. Um, as for how someone else remembers me, uh, you're definitely not wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, spending time with people, making connections, and really having meaningful conversations has always been important to me. Um, and just cultivating relationships, especially in the design industry where we're all working. We all have our own creative process, but are working towards what is essentially a common goal in our learning. Uh, I always thought that was a really unique experience to be able to have just all of these different perspectives in one place. And so I really wanted to uh, get to know as many people as possible and really understand as many points of view as I could. So thank you for that. Um, as for how someone else remembers me, uh, you know, it's interesting. It's very unique to hear how someone else remembers me. Uh, I think I can definitely remember the night you're thinking of, um, <laughs> college was my first time ever getting to play Dungeons and Dragons actually. So, uh, really? I myself have very fond memories of 
our freshman dorm just taking up one of the lounges for a few hours every week. <laughs> uh, and and for anybody who who's like trying to um uh, understand how well Andrew and I know each other, uh, freshman year, I actually bought Andrew's mini fridge. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this. Oh my god, I forgot that was you. Wow. And it's in my room right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're getting use out of it. But yeah, so that this is kind of like how uh, how close in both like friendship and physical location we were <laughs> for a long time. But oh, I completely um, forgot that fridge existed. <laughs> I'm actually giving it to um my uh we I have a, a housemate who is um uh, a freshman and we we call him our freshman and so I'm actually giving mm. the fridge to our freshman so it will live on. <laughs> awesome. But um. But yeah, so I I know you pretty well from the time that we met, but before we met, I don't really know much about you. I know that you grew up in Maryland, and I know that you have really, really close relationships with both your uh, your mom and your, your sisters. Um, and yeah, so would you mind telling me a little bit about you before I met you? Sure, yeah. Um, so my family uh, moved around quite a bit. Not for any particular reason growing up, but uh, born in North Carolina and then spent a number of years both in California and Northern Virginia, right outside D.C. And those were really where I went uh, elementary through high school. Um, and so for me, it was really unique uh, moving around a few times because back then I didn't have a cell phone uh, when I first moved to Northern Virginia. And so it really was this idea of starting fresh, uh, learning to make brand new friends. And uh, during that time, that was really when I found my passion uh, for design. Going into high school, I had always thought I wanted to be an architect in college. Um, but I started taking... That makes taking... sense for that area. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. totally makes sense for that. There's a lot of architects in that area. Yes. Uh... <laughs> I I started taking some computer graphics classes in high school purely on a whim to fill up my elective slots, learning Illustrator and Photoshop, and I fell in love with it. Mm. Um, and so I had one of my best friends at that time. Her father is a freelance artist uh, doing painting and other designs for companies like Wizards of the Coast. And so I went to him and got some lessons in uh, drawing and painting skills. And then I found some other place I could take lessons at. Uh, and then I eventually ended up at Drexel. I'm trying to think. I feel like I led a super boring life growing up. Um, <laughs> I doubt a lot of people move around a lot. I think that people that stay in the same place their entire lives probably think that you moving around is a lot more interesting. Yeah, that was a, a unique perspective I had when I went to college. I think most, if not everyone I knew, was from the area and had moved maybe once in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so uh, getting to talk to people that had never moved around before and had that perspective of being in one place, knowing people for two decades at that point uh, yeah. versus me that's moved around constantly and not really constantly. It was really every six or seven years or so. Mm. Um, it was interesting. And just getting to know people like that, what life was like for them. 
I don't think I would trade what I had though. Mm-hmm. I remember um, when, so I, I went to the same school from first grade to 12th grade. Um, and I remember when we would have like the, the new kids come in. Uh, it was always, we, we were normally like, super nice you're like oh my lunch table was always like the table where the new girl uh usually the guys would connect with somebody else but the new girl would come and sit with us and then it was kind of an understanding of like you can sit here and if you like us you can stay here but if you find another group that you fit better with and, and you like better it's totally fine to go over there what was it like to have that feeling of being the new kid multiple oh, times it was kind of weird i only ever actually moved during the school year once and that was mm. when we moved uh in 2011 from california to northern virginia mm. and so that was sixth grade and something that's really interesting is in california sixth grade is the first year of middle school whereas in northern virginia that's the last year of elementary school oh weird so i had the added experience of uh, really essentially dropping back from middle to elementary school for about two months. Weird. Um, and fitting in was definitely a little bit harder during that point, just because how close to the end of the school year it was, how close it was to everyone finishing elementary school and moving on. And so I think I definitely found a, a, a core group of friends pretty quickly uh, who really invited me and got to know me. Uh, and I became good friends with that I still chat with to this day. Um, and they really became kind of my buoyancy as we went into middle school from there and helped me find groups that I uh, meshed well with. I'm not sure if you know this, but in middle school, I was very much the theater kid. Oh, yes. the I, re I remember these pictures. Uh, you, it was, what was it? Was it... Theater, or was it something else? Yeah, I think the pictures you've seen are my time in high school when I did Color Guard. Yes, yes. Um, that was something that was super big. My sister did Color Guard when she moved, or when we moved to Virginia, because she was in high school at that point. Um, and I really enjoyed it. It's a very physical sport, but looked very fun. I mean, all you're doing is running, spinning, and throwing things in the air. Like, I, what could be less fun? Um or what could be more fun, sorry. Uh, and so I followed in that foot and my sister's footsteps and joined the guard in high school. And that was really my big club activity that lasted me those four years. I I did uh, um, theater in middle school and high school. And I remember just feeling like it's one thing to like have friends outside of that group. But when you're, when you're doing rehearsal and especially like, the the days right before the show and the the dinner right after the last show it's like a super close group unless you yeah. have like people who don't like each other but that's a whole other thing but well. but yeah so it seems like like coming into a new place doing theater would be like the perfect way to just like find this group of people that all kind of like do the same thing and mm -hmm. and really get each other yeah it was very much um i don't even remember why i took a theater class my first year of middle school uh i think it was just something that interested me at that time and so i did and funny enough when i tried out for our musical 
uh, my first year of middle school, I actually was not accepted. Um, I had no singing training, so it wasn't very surprising. Uh, but I ended up getting a position on the prop crew instead. Oh, neat. Um, and that kind of uh, then built my way up for me to take a chorus class after that uh, and be able to get an actual role in the next year's musical, which was a lot of fun. Do you remember uh, the musicals that you were in? Uh, yes. The first one that I was on prop crew was Thoroughly Modern Millie. Um, oh, I've heard of that one. And I remember specifically because I took tap dancing lessons to try and audition for it. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and then my second year when I had an actual role was Guys and Dolls. Oh, really? Okay. Which was a lot of fun. <laughs> I were, I did uh, um, uh, all through middle school and like the first two, three years of high school and uh, it's funny because uh, I ended up doing Cinderella twice, which was Ooh. kind of funny. <laughs> we did we did Annie and I love um, Annie. Annie was really fun. Uh, I was always an extra for all of them, but it was still fun. <laughs> and um, what else did we do? We did Aladdin. Um, uh, I don't know. They, they they when I left, they actually started doing um, what's it called? Uh, they did um, uh, Into the Woods. Which was oh. really cool, yeah. Love into um. the woods. What a fun one. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So so you did uh theater, and then uh color guard is different. Like there's yes. competitions. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're not just doing like one show. You're doing like a bunch of different ones. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, color guard. The color guard is uh the performers that are essentially supplementary to the marching band. So during a football game, during halftime, when the marching band comes out and performs, um, you'll see other performers among them. They have flags, they've got rifles and sabers, and they're spinning, dancing, uh, and adding more visual effect to the performance. That's the color guard. And so we had weekly performances, definitely during the football games of our high school. Uh, our high school football team was not very good. I'll throw <laughs> that out there. Um, no, no shade, but we loved them for it. Uh, but then we would have other competitions, uh, up and down the East coast, we would travel and perform and compete specifically against other marching bands. Um, and so that was a super, super fun experience. Uh, just meeting other like-minded people. Everyone there is an athlete working their hardest, um, spending hours under the summer sun, which no thank you that i won't do aren't, again aren't your uh uniforms like long sleeve long pants as well it depends on the show uh um, oh, okay but they can be one of our uniforms uh for one year we had these large latex red overcoats oh my and god so was that during we... the summer oh yes oh god yeah. <laughs> so uh we likened it to baking and tupperware for, oh my God. Because we would have practices. Um, for those who don't know, band camp is a three-week period before uh, the school year begins where you're spending eight to 12 hours a day outside practicing um, since the team gets a start before the school year begins. And so that was a lot of time that we put in, and then we would have after-school practices three to four days a week in competition. Uh, luckily, oh Winter Guard is 
during the winter, so that's all indoors. So you're not mm. burning to death nor freezing. Um, but that is Winter Guard's the much more competitive version, I want to say. Uh, you don't have the marching band behind you. It's just the guard on the floor uh, performing for around five minutes straight. Um, and that was a lot of fun. I ended up uh, being co-captain my junior year and then captain my senior year. Mm. And how and many people were like on this? I think that when I think of Color Guard, like at my high school, I think it was maybe like 10 people. But I feel like at other schools, it could be huge. Yeah. Um, some schools have very large ones. And for ours, it definitely at a time was only 10 to 12 people. It wasn't very large. Mm. I want to say by the time I started, there were maybe 20 people on it. Mm. Um, and we gradually increased uh, interest. We were known for stealing band kids um, <laughs> who would do the marching band during the fall, but then come join us for Winter Guard. Oh, fun. Uh, and so we numbered around 30 by the time I graduated. But okay. I think that number has fallen again, unfortunately. <laughs> so so you did um, uh, theater. You did uh, um, uh, color guard. Were th that sounds like a lot of learning how to work with. And you also did stage crew. And mm -hmm. I'm sure that like quick changes and changing between scenes were a thing, uh, making sure that mics were working and things like that. Yes. So it sounds like it's a lot of working with a bunch of people with a lot of logistics. So that's kind mm -hmm. of like how you, while you were looking at design, you were also learning how to work with people. Is that, yeah, that true? Absolutely. Um, definitely. I, I'd go back to uh, my time on prop crew. You really, you can only, the more effective you want to be, you have to be able to talk to people. You want to be their friends. Because uh, if someone doesn't like you or you don't like them, changing their mics, helping them get ready is going to be a lot more arduous of a process. Mm. Um, and so being, getting to be friends with everyone, just learning everyone's perspective on things is definitely a huge factor in that. Did you learn a lot about, um, when, when I think about a group of people that has to stick together for a certain period of time, I'm sure that like things come up where it's like little annoyances that like aren't a big deal. But by the time you're like three months into it, it's super like, like people are getting super annoyed with each other. Did you learn how to do like conflict management and things like that from that? Yeah. Um, hmm. That's a, that's a great question. I want to say yes. Uh, part of me also recognizes that for a time, my conflict management was just push it to the back and hope it dies out on its own. <laughs> um, but uh, especially towards the end of high school, when I became co-captain and captain of the color guard, a lot more focus was placed on really managing conflicts. When you've got 30 mm -hmm. people uh, that you're trying to keep headed in the same general direction, and Color Guard has some very headstrong uh, individuals in it, I should say. Um, <laughs> well, I imagine that, that anybody who's willing to uh, perform, that's like a totally different mindset. You kind of have to be, uh, it kind of forces you to be confident. So uh, being headstrong is probably a, a um, necessary evil. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would say that's pretty accurate. Uh, but corralling that and getting everyone so that we're a cohesive unit pointed in the same direction and 
playing off of each other, really. Uh, there are especially moments when, like, you're trading equipment with someone else through a toss or something like that, and, you know, if they're off the mark or you're off the mark, what, someone's getting hit in the head. Oh, yeah. Um, and so learning to set aside differences uh, to make the show work was really important. And then afterwards, it was very much, you know, if it was something small, let's sit down and figure out what went wrong or, I guess, uh, what beef we've got with each other um, and come to a resolution of it. Uh, but some of the more volatile relationships in the team were a bit harder to manage. And it mm -hmm. was very much uh, just kind of hoping that no one exploded right before a show. Yeah, and also you have people that are so young that they don't even know who they are yet, and they might mm -hmm. not even know that they're jealous of someone. Uh, they they just have negative feelings towards that person. And right. also you have like 16-year-old, 17-year-old hormones going on. So I'm sure I have so much respect to like uh, um, band directors and theater directors because like there's so many layers of things that they're doing. Oh, <laughs> and I yeah. can see you in that position as the captain too. <laughs> yeah, figuring out how to manage all of that is not a fun experience i'll say that so, much so while you're doing this outside of school in school and also on your other time outside of school you're um learning about like the adobe programs mm -hmm. you're spending time with your friend's dad as he's giving you lessons um it sounds interesting because i uh I love the fact that there's room, there's wiggle room in a lot of uh, schools, at least the public school that I went to, um, that you, you had like these electives and you had ability to do independent study. And I did independent study. Um, I ran out of uh, art electives to take um, and I, st I started doing uh, independent study, teaching myself um, Adobe InDesign because I thought oh. it seemed really complicated and wanted to try so let's be I, honest I, it is and so i i tried it and um and while i was in that computer lab um another class that was going on in the same room while i was on my desktop computer was um this uh photoshop class um and when uh the other kids in the class would get confused and the professor was busy working with another student they had me come in and tell them what to do. So it was funny. It was like this, this professor, this teacher that was like maybe like late thirties, early forties. And then it was me, 17 year old girl, just walking yeah. around <laughs> teaching them how to do stuff. So, so yeah, I, I, I really relate to the whole, um, uh, first moments teaching yourself all these Adobe programs because they're really cool, but there's there's so much to learn and when we're at the point that you and i are at it's kind of weird because we kind of forget that we ever learned them right um like even when i when i think about uh school with you and me like it's weird because i talk to people now who are interested in ux um and uh they they talk to me uh, asking me a bunch of questions and it's weird because the conversations i have with them i realize all the stuff that i learned that it, that I just forgot that I learned and I thought it was just common sense in my mind. Yeah, very much. <laughs> um, with some of the work I'm doing nowadays, it's, you know, creating designs. And as I'm just talking through with the client, uh, like through illustrations, future plans for the website and whatnot, there are things I completely gloss over and don't mention because to me that's 
just a part of the design process mm-hmm. and forcing myself to stop and back up and go, but uh, I have to imagine that maybe this client doesn't know these things um, or just refreshing them on it is a good idea anyways. And so mm-hmm. really slowing down to help people understand where your vision I've learned is one of the most important things when designing. Yeah. Do you have something rattling in the background? Uh, I do. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. No worries. But uh, but yeah, so I, I totally understand what you're saying when, when you're talking about that. Like some things um, uh, that I had to do recently was um, we were talking about different colors for a brand redesign and uh, the the idea of talking about like color theory and talking about why different companies use different colors like hospitality or food related mm-hmm. using green um, things that are more like passionate using red. Um, it's it's really interesting to sometimes just like take a step back and realize that not everybody is thinking about it the same way you are. And something that really helped me learn that was um, with my senior thesis, I uh, did my first user testing um, uh, batch. I did user testing with like 20 people so there were like 20 Mm. individual zooms where i was presenting my project asking them what they thought of it having them go through it and uh it's really it's really humbling (laughs) uh user testing because it it doesn't matter how well uh you can explain yourself out of a corner because it's the it's what you make that really matters Like, you're not going to be sitting there with every user and being able to explain things and and walk them through the project. Like, if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. It like, it's it's kind of a weird objective thing that if people aren't getting it, then you got to figure it out. It doesn't matter how you feel about it emotionally. (laughs) Yeah. And that can be one of the hardest things when you really fall in love with your own design uh, Mm -hmm. and think this is the best thing I've done in years. And then the client or someone else comes along and goes, I don't understand it, that it almost feels soul crushing for a brief (laughs) moment. (laughs) You're like, but I've worked so hard. It looks so good to me. Uh, But remembering that we're not designing for ourselves, we're designing for clients and for other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we, it's always a juggling game of giving them what they're looking for while adding in your own personal flair to it. So, uh, I do, um, like UX and more like website related stuff, but I want to hear a little bit about like what you're doing right now and, um, kind of like what direction you want to go. Cause when you graduate with a degree in graphic design, there's so many things that you can Mm -hmm. do with it, which is really cool. And you can take it your own way. So, so what, what are you doing day to day? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, job searching for one. Um, my current day to day work right now, uh, I have one freelance project going on, which is a consulting agency that's been started up by, uh, some family friends that were hit rather hard by the pandemic. Mm. Um, and so really helping them through kind of the entire process. They had someone else to, that they worked with to design their logo. Uh, but I am currently illustrating iconography uh, for presentations for themselves. I'll be helping them uh, with the designs of the actual presentations once they have the content uh, and very much beginning to sketch out what their website will look like. And I will oh, be uh, spearheading that. 
That's exciting. Mm. It's it's a very fun project. Uh, There's another person on this team that I'm working with who is a professional in the marketing uh, industry Mm. and has been doing marketing for two decades now, I think. Um, And so really working with them, having someone else who understands very well uh, the best, a hierarchy of information to get across and uh, having that support being fresh out of college and and having that kind of nerves of, do I really know what I'm talking about uh, to these people? Having that person who can really confirm, yep, you're on the right track. Uh, I can see where you're going with this, how this affects the market, things like that. It's really helpful. Um, I, as for what I want to do, I suppose. Sorry, were you about to say something? No, no, I, I'm listening. Okay. Uh, my passion definitely lies much more in packaging and exhibition design. I love marketing. Uh, UIUX is super fun, but... Oh, God, I hearken back to my prop crew days, uh, the years I spent building Lego sets um, and uh, just putting together packages, figuring out the mechanics of them, how the designs work on uh, a fully three-dimensional object is something I really love doing. Um, I forget, were we in the same packaging design class? I think so. We... It was over Zoom. Yeah, you made a... um uh something that holds the miniatures and Mm -hmm. the dice yeah uh yes i made packaging for macarons and i did a uh, tabletop rpg package for dice and miniatures and figuring out those i i spent so long just at my desk sketching out uh flat versions and isometric drawings of how they would connect together mechanically and that was something i just had the most fun doing um, and then exhibition design, which is in a, you know, slightly different direction. Uh, but that was my capstone was doing a museum exhibit focused on blacksmithing and drawing that out, building the model, uh, spending a lot of time really thinking about how people move and interact in that larger space was something really fun. I almost view it as uh, a version of interior packaging where instead of figuring out what the outside looks like that people handle, it's figuring out the interior and how people are going to interact with that on, of course, a much larger scale. It's literally like packaging a room, packaging yeah. a physical experience. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> so um, so as we talk about your, your board game and as we talk about um, that that exhibit that you did, I want to talk about why you're so passionate about board games and card games because the whole time I've known you it's something that you're really interested in and I I never really had that interaction until um my boyfriend started uh painting Warhammer miniatures a lot Classic like, pastime. I, I literally okay so I'm sitting at my desk in my room I'm looking across the room and I see I kid you not maybe like 25 fully painted Warhammer miniatures and then paints and all that kind of stuff. So I see how passionate and excited he is about it. And it's something that he's been passionate about and like super into since he was a little, like a little, little kid. And so I want to hear like where this comes from and like, like why you get so excited about it. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I've thought about it before, and I think very much for me, it came. I've always enjoyed uh, games. Family game nights were super fun growing up, um, and just playing those. But when I moved to Virginia, that core group of friends I pretty quickly made in the last two months of elementary school, uh, when we went to middle school, they were pretty into board games. And there was a board game club uh, at our middle school that we would do every Thursday. And I joined them for that. And I think that's where my love really developed further. I think for me, board games became synonymous with uh, a great way to meet new people and make friends. You're finding mm-hmm. something that you're all equally passionate about uh, and playing it. Um, and I think anyone who's been to college knows the the good old Cards Against Humanity college experience <laughs> of like first night on your dorm floor, everyone groups around the table and plays that game. Um, yeah, I, I think very much it was just it became my way of making friends and connecting with them. Uh, mm-hmm. And especially now that we have online games uh, and online ways to play board games. I'm able to connect with some of those people that I don't live near anymore. Uh, and we still share that love and passion and get together pretty often and play games. What did you think about the whole, um, uh, and we'll get back to like the physical design of it, but what did you think of the whole uh, Among Us Discord part of time? Because <laughs> that was on a big part of like... yeah quarantine and everything <laughs> uh you know i've been using discord for seven or eight years now um uh especially back in high school that was very much my friends and i played a lot of video games together also uh, and so discord was our way to just chat and communicate outside of playing those or outside of school uh, because who wants to make phone calls or meet up in person when you can just chat virtually yeah, for I don't know if it's like an American thing or or not, but if if you don't know what Discord is, it's like a um, it's pretty much just like a chat where you can either talk to people like it's a phone call, um, and you have a bunch of people in the call, or you can uh, just like text in the chat, and you can also do text to speech, which is interesting, it and has some that people function? kind of I think so because uh, uh, I I'm aware of other uh, Discord groups where they're uh, um doing text-to-speech um some very interesting language choices um and so all of a sudden i hear like weird phrasing that's coming from the computer but oh, no. uh, but yeah so that's that's what uh that's what discord is but yeah so you were uh keeping up with your friends and like being able to talk to them in real time while you're playing a video game which is yeah. really fun it's, it's it's like a very advanced version of like hanging out with all your friends and playing like mario kart you can actually mm-hmm. do it on like a random Tuesday night after you all did your homework. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, you know, like you mentioned in this past year, uh, we've really had the rise of like among us uh, as a game um, that people play together. I actually didn't super get into it. Um, yeah. I was living with roommates uh, for a time at the beginning of our senior year. I think I mentioned that to you. Yeah. And so we would play that together every now and then. Uh, we would get on and play that some nights, but it wasn't a game I really sunk a lot of time into. I saw the appeal of it, um, but that was a time when I was getting ready to work on Capstone, working on some of the harder projects mm, yeah. of our college career. And so even uh, my old friends that I play a lot of games with, 
I was kind of uh, taking a bit of a break and focusing more on my projects than I was spending time and playing games with them. So I, I want to ask you, so the playing board games and playing games in general was a big part of like keeping up with your friends and making new friends and just, I don't know, it's just a normal amount of like quality of life for you. <laughs> but I, I wanted to ask when you were playing this and, and over time, were you really drawn to like the physical aspects of like the way that the cards were designed and and the way that the board was put together and and like the graphic design of it and the packaging of it yeah um i can definitely say for certain uh initially i never paid attention to that as long as it looked cool that's all that mattered to me <laughs> um but once i started uh Realizing that design was where I wanted to go with my career, not just in life, because I think you probably do the same thing, but just walking down the street, you look at signs and everything like that, and you're just, you're watching the design almost more than anything else, uh, just in your daily life. And that started to catch my attention a lot more in board games, seeing how the packaging was done, how the visuals interact with each other, uh, does the game the visuals on the outside of the box, do they wrap around to the inside? Small details like that really caught my attention and would actually at times be deciding factors for me. Uh, if I was looking at different games and I knew I was only going to get one, oftentimes it was the design of it that really uh, would be my deciding factor. And yeah. so that definitely started to catch my attention a lot more in recent years. And I remember, I remember sitting next to you in the lab when you were very painstakingly cutting out with your exacto knife oh, every single. <laughs> okay, so what Andrew did and what I watched this man do was, <laughs> we were in a publication class together, and he was making a magazine um, of uh, it was what I wrote it down. It was it was made um, out of playing cards. Player magazine, yeah. And and you had a, a square book, uh, a square magazine, and you also had a deck of cards that you made yourself. And and I don't I, I don't remember too much about the interior of the magazine, but I remember you were literally had a magazine that would be about board games or or cards or any type of game, and like just that issue that you made as an example for the class was about play like playing cards, if I'm mm -hmm. right. Yeah, and so it was. What what was that like? Did you have a totally different perspective on like card games <laughs> after you spent all of that time making all what was it, like fifty two cards? Yeah, yeah, a uh, a seething hatred. Um, <laughs> yeah, so oh, that was that was a super fun project. And that was continuous. I did that over two classes, uh, wow, two semesters, I suppose. The first one was the magazine, and then in our experimental publication, when most people were studying abroad. Uh, and yeah. we did not, uh, I decided I wanted to take it a step further and design a deck of cards that also acted like a magazine with each suit being its own uh, article. And then oh, I really? used the jokers to act as almost a table of contents. Uh, that was a super fun experience. And I will never forget uh, working for 10 hours straight uh, overnight to cut out all 54 playing cards and the box and put it all together. Um, 
and someone had stolen the uh the corner cutter that cuts really nice corners from our lab so i was cutting all of those corners by hand um i think i did those tiny curves a couple thousand times (laughs) yeah because like you don't get it right every time and i was i would cut all four corners on the front all four corners on the back uh stick the two together and then do one more cut around the entire edge to clean it up so i was doing 12 cuts per card for 54 cards so almost 600 cuts when people go to school to study graphic design like i don't know if they realize how much of it is just like um craft yeah learning how to cut things and, and paste them together and make uh props like the the way props isn't like a um like uh an idea of what the magazine would look like you use like foam board and stuff like that to put in the inside but if you're just doing a cover that's what you would do um Mm -hmm. but uh yeah it was it was really uh not was i i was expecting and it's like how did you feel about having like so our first two years were in person and then really our our second two years um depending on when you did co-op um or if you got to do co-op because of COVID and everything, um, our our last two years were online. Um, so h- how did you feel about that, having like all uh, um, craft and spending time in labs and printing stuff out and getting super frustrated when the ink was out and, and the people to oh, go get the ink me. from, <laughs> like they weren't there because it was the middle of the night and they, they <sighs> you had to like go and find all of the different cartridges like in the lab to try to get a full set of ink cartridges because like one would have color, one would have black, one would have magenta. Yeah. But like, so what do you think of like the difference between the two years or the two, two mm. parts of our college experience? Well, first off, now that we're out of school, I think I can say this and get away with this. Uh, there were times I went down and grabbed like extra reams of paper, print cartridges and just hid them. For when we would work late at night and something needed replacement, That's I learned smart. that the hard way. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely much prefer the physical side of it, getting to work with my hands and put it all together. It's a lot more tedious, uh, printing out and cutting a million different mock-ups um, takes a lot of time, but there's something super satisfying about it for me. And so once we were working online... I definitely felt like a core part of that was missing. Uh, and I think that's why for my capstone, which was during this digital time, I wanted to do something physical. I really wanted to push myself uh, to put something together. And that's how I ended up putting together uh, a 30 by 40 foam cord board with uh, vertical pieces in a studio apartment. Not oh a smart God. decision. Don't recognize uh, don't recommend <laughs> that for anyone. I had no free space. So let's talk about that. So you um Uh-oh. we you and I actually had the same thesis advisor, Sandy. Mm-hmm. Um and uh we uh so I actually we were in that first initial meeting and we were talking about like what kinds of things that we wanted to do. Um why why did you choose what you did? I know you said you wanted to you, instead of like being on computers all the time, you wanted something that was more physical. But why specific? Uh, specifically, like, and and if I'm getting the name right, Artis Mechanicae, which is like mm-hmm. the uh history of like 
warfare in medieval Europe and blacksmithing. Yeah, so yeah. just tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> okay. Um, well, uh, initially I was actually going to do uh, board game development and design for my thesis. Mm. Uh, Sandy looked at me and told me no. Oh. So <laughs> she was the teacher I had for uh, both of the publication classes where I did the Player 3 magazine. And so all she had seen me do was projects relating to games. And so she really wanted me to expand my portfolio, mm. uh, which in hindsight, I'm super grateful for. And the Sandy we're talking about is Sandy Stewart, who's a professor at Drexel's Westfall College. But yeah, continue. Love Sandy. Great teacher. <laughs> um, and so, oh, I'm trying to think. I spent a while trying to figure out exactly what... Um, I wanted to do after that because for years I was thinking I was going to do a board game for my thesis. Mm -hmm. uh, and I eventually went back to the fact that I really love uh, blacksmithing. I've never done it myself, but it's always been something I've wanted to do. And so I thought about focusing on the history of blacksmithing. Uh, and so I gradually refined that idea down until my focus was on uh, the history of blacksmithing in medieval Europe, primarily through a lens of uh, weapons and armor being made. Hmm. And so then working with that, spending a lot of time on museum websites. I There were times I spent like two hours with Sandy just scrolling through museum websites wow. uh, for pieces to find. Um, and then doing additional research became really challenging because from that time period uh there really aren't many surviving records of individual blacksmiths it was mostly like families and guilds and so i wanted to focus on uh certain individuals and their styles and i realized pretty early on i couldn't do that um yeah it it was challenging but a lot of fun i think that could be said about probably all design and i actually <laughs> uh much like your boyfriend loves painting warhammer miniatures i ordered a resin model of a forge uh oh, wow. painted that and then built the scale of the rest of the exhibit around that model uh so that were the exhibit life size the forge and pieces that i was using would also be life size and that was the main draw i was planning was the ability for visitors to come in and walk uh, around and examine the actual parts of a medieval forge. Wow. And and you, it's just something you've always been interested in, like the... the mm -hmm. Because I've, I've actually watched... I, there's this uh, kind of like Chopped, the cooking show. There's, a, there's one fire. for... Yes, that's the one I'm talking about. I... Um, uh, I uh, a lot of my friends are guys, and so every once in a while, just like random things about like, I don't know, swords or Warhammer or things like that. Not that that's all guys, but like, it's just something that comes up in conversation. We were watching that show, then uh, Fortune Fire is like this, um, uh, this show where you have a bunch of um uh like five or so um blacksmiths uh given the um the task to make like a sword or a weapon and then they have all of these different tests to see if the sword bends or um and you actually see them make it and it's actually a really interesting process and the same goes for um for knives like cooking knives and stuff like that um 
was that something that you uh ever watched yeah uh that show got me through a lot of late night projects in college oh really Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah i think i started watching it junior year uh yeah and just binging the first couple seasons and then i realized i would use it as i could use it as background uh noise while i was working do you Um, ever see the the thing when they do they use like a real pig when they have to use the cutting uh test uh, the carcass i think so i think they use a real pig's uh corpse i feel like that's the only way that they could make that accurate but um but yeah it's and uh um my uh one of my best friends actually uh for his birthday um uh his girlfriend asked him what did you want for your birthday and he literally said i just want a sword amazing (laughs) in our house we literally have like a a a actual sword just like that's amazing leaning on the wall in his room (laughs) it's kind of funny but um but yeah so uh so you studied like I'm sure that the process that they have on that show is completely different than the process that you researched, or maybe is it similar in in making the swords and making the weaponry? It's definitely similar, and I'm thinking back to my exhibit at that point, this point, and really the information I was focused on providing, uh, and the information that I was providing was less so a tutorial on how to uh, actually forge, but more so on um like the history of it uh mm. and then there were some areas that i was focused on specific techniques uh mainly the decorative ones and if you watch oh, a yeah. show like forged in fire there's times where they'll uh like make a damascus steel which is combining multiple metals together they'll etch it with acid things like that uh, and so i talked about that and that ended up being very similar um but in general, most of the information I was focusing on was a broader historical perspective so, as opposed to a guide. So what is the broader historical perspective of uh, blacksmithing? I'm kind of... You're making me going back into my project. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just curious because um, uh, I'm always in, like when I, uh, when I talked to uh, Sai like a couple of months ago, I, it was really cool to, to learn about like the, um, the, history of like queen elizabeth and like the stories behind it so i think it's kind of cool to just like hear about something that is totally different than something i would normally (laughs) be curious about (laughs) yeah all right let's see if i can remember these properly uh but i believe if i remember correctly most of the historical uh, prospect was it was very much a sign of wealth to own uh, very well engraved and designed weaponry and armor um, much armor that was used in warfare was actually uh, very plain, had little to no embellishment on it because it was meant to be mass produced. Uh, and when you think sense. of like, if you go to a museum and you look at their super embellished and gilded armor, that was much more ceremonial. Uh, people would wear that in court. Mm. Uh, and also could be used in tournaments, which really was kind of a big sport of the day, jousting, melees. And just fighting. So it was more like a costume or a, a formal suit at that yes. point? Yes. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, I talked a bit about hunting in my exhibit and the tools that were used for that. 
because hunting acted as both a uh, means of population control and a sport. A lot of times uh, when I watch movies, read books these days, like hunting is kind of viewed solely as a sport, like, oh, let's go hunt a boar. Uh, mm. And it's a jovial sport that everyone participates in. Um, but during the Middle Ages, it was also very much a means of population control of wild animals. Mm. That was something I didn't know and thought was really important to share. I've been uh, learning a lot about, um, I don't know if this is something that you're personally interested in, but like, uh, I've been learning a lot about hunting and things like that. Not that I've ever done it or have any skill in it at all, even though I'm from Pennsylvania and we got the first day of hunting season off from school every single day. <laughs> it was kind nice. of funny. Like, that was like, that was how I grew up. Like, literally my town would just be like empty and it would just be like me and my family mm -hmm. on the first day of deer season. Um, and the first time I ever had school on the first day of hunting season was my freshman year of college. Oh. I was like, why are we here? It's deer <laughs> season. Nobody should be here. Yeah, I, I don't I have... Was... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was told that that's not normal. <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, so, uh, I've been learning a lot about that and, um, specifically when, when you talk about, um, your, uh, talk about weaponry and things like that uh when it comes to wealth i i learned recently that a lot of people that hunting in the u.s is very different than hunting in other places and huh. that um there was a a story about um uh this this guy that um uh killed a uh a bear uh or like he shot a bear in the u.s and there uh, there was a woman who was from the the uk and uh she like gasped when she saw that and and the reaction that they were, uh, they, they were like, oh, are you like just, um, kind of like, it's just a lot of activity and a lot of commotion and a lot of sound. Like, is that why you were gasping? And I think she was watching a video of it. He's like, oh no, he killed the king's bear. Like, apparently mm. in, in, um, in like the UK, like, there's a lot more restrictions on that because apparently a long time ago, hunting in certain areas was, um, uh, like, it it was just like uh something that only like the wealthy people did and like the upper classes like it wasn't like something that just everybody did uh like in in the U.S. and like apparently that's the story behind um uh Robin Hood that it was never about money like the actual story was never about money it was a guy that went hunting in the uh wealthy uh only um hunting grounds and then would bring the food back to the poor people who were starving that couldn't go hunting in those areas because of the law and i was like that's so interesting yeah so apparently uh hunting in the u.s is just very different than other places in the world and a lot of people come here just for that which is yeah. interesting but yeah so that's what i thought of when when you talked about um the 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 um the wear being very formal <laughs> but um but other than that uh what we when we talk about your senior thesis and we talk about organs and other things like that is, is there anything else that um you're really really passionate about like this um uh because you seem like you have a bunch of different interests uh in a bunch of different things but uh it, when you see yourself like in a couple of years or things like that i see packaging i see games i see um working with a lot of people are there other things that you have interests that are kind of like outside of that that you might yeah. consider 
let's uh let's throw in one more. I am uh currently writing a book also. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. Writing short stories was actually a super big passion of mine during college. Um I tried to take a one or two classes every year just writing short stories and practicing that and then my very last term of senior year uh i ended up doing an independent study with one of my writing teachers that i had had multiple times and i initially planned it to just be consistently writing short stories again um but she tacitly encouraged me uh to end up just writing a longer story and turning it into a full length novel wow um, and so that's what I'm currently doing. That's it. Yeah, because I, I saw that uh, you describe yourself as a designer as well as a writer. So mm-hmm. wh- what about writing is something that you really enjoy? Or do you like writing about specific things? Uh, well, my favorite genres are fantasy and psychological horror. Um, huh. They're really <laughs> fun to combine at times. Really? Yeah. Um, oh, geez. I think for me, it's very much, I love telling a good story. Mm. Uh, growing up and reading, enjoying a good book and a good story, I found that uh, being able to tell my own stories is a very fun experience. That's part of the reason I got into Dungeons and Dragons and other games like that. That makes is, sense. Uh, yeah. Just the ability to share your stories with people. Because uh, isn't in Dungeons and Dragons, there's like, there, there's so much so many details to keep track of and to follow mm-hmm. in terms of relationships between other people and things like that. Yeah, pages upon pages of notes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, so so what is the so the story in your senior year of high school is that related to the story that you're writing now or was that just your your first uh introduction to writing a longer book? Sorry. Didn't mean senior year of high school, senior year of college. Senior, oh, okay, got yeah. it, got it. Yeah, that class ended about a month ago. Oh, uh, very so recent. I'm <laughs> still working on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so so, uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Uh, right now, it's starting off pretty much as your typical high fantasy novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an interesting shift in the main character. I had the character I was planning on using. Uh, throughout the whole book and for the first maybe 30 or 40 pages uh, it focused on them and then I had an interesting shift where I realized it was a lot more uh, that character almost knew too much and so shifting to um, a second character that was kind of the uh, second protagonist I don't know terminology for writing anymore that makes sense yeah um and having them who knew a lot less about the world and about uh, the original main character became a lot more interesting of being able to uncover with the reader uh, things about the story in the world. I like so, that. So I think I've got about 120 pages written at this point. Wow. Um, which I <laughs> never imagined I would write this much. So you're you're planning... What's the... you you thinking about... It? publishing it yeah that was a very that was a lot of stammering (laughs) (laughs) you but 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 yeah that's interesting there's a there's a whole process behind that and Mm -hmm. and all of that are you thinking about um reaching out to a publication group or are you thinking about doing it yourself 
uh, most definitely a publication group. Got it. Um, that's too much on my plate to try and publish <laughs> it myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have my teacher, who I absolutely adore, um, has actually asked to keep in contact with me so that she's really interested in my novel. And so I'm actually still sending her uh, my writing every now and then and continuing to gain feedback. So I have a great, essentially, copy editor. Yeah, that makes uh, as sense. As I'm going. Um, and she's named a few uh, different publishing houses that I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, just as recommendations for me when I get to that point. Are you, um, I'm guessing that you could create your own cover art. Uh, like, is it is it a book of mostly text and then art on the front and back? Or are you thinking about adding graphics in the book? Uh, it would most likely just be front and back. Yeah. Because it's fantasy, there's a high likelihood I would include a map on the interior. Oh, neat! Um, the, which... um, the, the back of the front cover? Mm-hmm. Is, is that where it'd be? Okay. Back of the front cover in like the first two pages or so. Uh, and that I have already designed. I designed that a long time ago. Yeah. So what kind of world is this? I'm just super curious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a great question. What's the, how best to describe it? Not entirely sure. Uh, the entire, the general concept I went with, I guess, when I was first writing this was uh, a world where myths can become reality. Um, and the, the legends people grow up telling their children and hearing and stories are very much real and tangible. Huh. So, uh, uh, myths as in like myths within the, the context of this, of this world. Yeah. Like, okay. Cause I, when I was thinking of myths, I was just like, uh, the, the things that, that parents tell their kids to get them to stop doing annoying stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But but that that's interesting. So like um so I'm guessing there's like the 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 good side and the bad side, or are there some kind of like antiheroes too? Uh you know, it was it was very hard because uh doing the world building for this, I think there's ten to twenty different uh regions, I suppose. That okay. all have their own leaderships and trying to figure out, okay, like I, I, I struggle to use the general term good or evil in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are some regions that are definitely a lot more ambitious than others. And one of those might be the driving force, uh, behind the antagonists of this story. Mm, okay. Um, and, but, uh, using the main characters traveling a lot to really, uh, bring and highlight a few of these regions at least and get to uh, really explore what they look like uh, with the entire concept of, uh, you know, legends being real. I have a set of regions that are all uh, governed by essentially people that ascended to godhood um, oh, okay. in history. And they would typically be what people would consider legendary figures, figures of myth, you know, oh, great hero X who slayed this dragon long ago. Mm-hmm. What if them doing so allowed them to uh, become a God and they now live among you still and you can go chat with them. Doing this and actually like 
how, how do you, um, I guess, it, are these all like Word documents where you're planning everything or are you like sketching them out in terms of like mapping on a piece of paper? Because it sounds like a lot of details to keep track of. Yeah. Uh, so the map I definitely did some initial sketches for and then put in Illustrator uh, and mm, played okay. around with that to make it. The rest of the ideas are uh, about a million different Word documents in different locations. I really in, need to get better at my organization of them. In doing this, do you have a lot more um, appreciation for the authors of other big world-building uh, sagas and books? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've I've tried my hand at it before, just creating a world from scratch, and I ended up giving up uh, somewhat early on. You get to the point where you know, you've got your multiple kingdoms, your general ruling systems for them. Maybe you've created your own pantheon or two. Um, and then pantheon? you've got a, a divinities, a list of divinities. I oh, suppose. yeah. Got it. Like the Greek gods or something. Yes, like exactly. That. Okay. Um, and then you get to a point where you've got a list of like 40 rivers that need naming. And 30 cities and towns that you need to figure out, like, how many people live there? Who lives there? What do they sell? Um, and that's just... That gets to the point where it's almost not fun. Uh, and so you need to really sparse out when you're working on those. Because you can get... I, I at least can get burnt out very quickly when yeah. I'm just trying to input all of that data. And also, you don't want to just name something for the sake of naming it like i'm, mm -hmm. I'm assuming you want things to have meaning yes because specifically like it's kind of funny my last name uh is italian it's giordano and it means uh people of the jordan river so it's kind mm. of cool to like have things that like mean uh i don't really get it because i don't know if there really is a jordan river in sicily i think it's more of like a biblical thing <laughs> but um but it's it's interesting to like that there's so much meaning behind all of this um do you ever have like the um the temptation of just like oh, a word generator like name <laughs> generator like rather than like having something that connects to the story uh to be honest name generators are actually how i start okay um i i will go to a name generator and find a bunch of not even the full words but parts of words that sound really interesting and then i'll find new ways to combine them uh, and from there, I actually will add to the story based off of those names I've generated at times. Oh, okay. So if I come up with uh, the name of a mountain range, then I will uh, name things and use that mountain range in other people's stories and histories and what the region is for uh, and figure out how to relate back to that. And then sometimes I'll go back and tweak the name if I find one that tends to fit more for what I'm going for in the story. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of times I found it's easier to create the names first and then build around that and kind of give meaning in reverse. Is it helpful to like look at history? Because um, if you think about world building and things like that, history is pretty good at that in terms <laughs> of like the Caesars to, to think about, um, uh, I don't know, even... Um, uh oh what's his name um ah oh, i'm forgetting his name the uh mongolian emperor that like oh genghis khan yeah genghis khan and like 
if it's kind of neat because if you can look at uh other things that other authors have done but you can also look like at history itself and i'm thinking that you're probably somebody that's kind of interested in that yeah uh i look at it on occasion but i also i recognize myself that there's a huge temptation to steal ideas Mm, yeah. Uh, so if I spend a lot of time reading, looking over history, then I'll find, and not even necessarily consciously, but subconsciously, I'll start to riff off of those ideas in my own writing and work. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm writing and working on designs, I tend to stay away from that uh, just yeah. because I don't want it to influence my work. But in my free time, I do enjoy uh, doing some historical research on occasion. When I when I see movies like um I actually I had never seen Lord of the Rings or uh anything like that until uh I was forced to by a friend and it was actually very good and I liked it but uh, that's an example of like a world building um thing. I also used to read like Aragon books when I was a mm-hmm. kid. Um uh how do you feel about um like I, I don't this is just really interesting to me but uh how do you feel about having these like crazy stories um uh that are um uh manufactured by an author but seem very very real when you like read the books and they're so detailed and you see the movies and they're so well like produced and then you like hear stories that like actually happen like alexander the great uh conquering literally almost like his entire conscious mind of like what existed when he was our age like the fact that that's real to me, it's just, like, kind of insane, and we don't talk about it. <laughs> right? I'm sitting here wondering, you know, I, I managed to make it through college while Alexander the Great conquered the known world. Yeah, I mean, the um, uh, Simon Whistler is a YouTuber that I really love to watch, and one of his favorite phrases is um, uh, legendary, in which he, he uh, anything that he thinks is absolutely hilarious, or somebody that did something incredibly impressive he calls them legendary but his other favorite phrase is the past is always the worst like <laughs> that's just, he has a t-shirt that says the past is the worst because it is like incredible the, the stories that you hear of, of people conquering and like the amount of power that people had but also like when people say that i i wish i could go back to the 50s or i wish i could go back to this time are you sure <laughs> and no thanks I know it's just always interesting to me because like um even uh times that people say like oh I think I would I would fit in so well at the time like uh the past was always the worst is you be thankful that you're here now and then in a couple years somebody's gonna be thankful that they're there now and not the time that you're living um it's very much uh looking back with rose-colored glasses absolutely (laughs) but uh one other thing I was talking about was like uh do you have any um any uh world building uh series or books or things like that that I know that sometimes when they bring them into movie form they can either make it like super accurate um to the story like I feel like Harry Potter did a pretty good way of like sticking to the book and I think Lord of the Rings as much as it could because like otherwise it would be like a 17 hour long movie <laughs> um uh, stayed as as much as they could to the book how do you feel about like the end of sagas and stuff like that where they run out of source material and then they have to start making oh. it their own like how do you because i've never felt that connected to anything like that what does that feel like 
bittersweet, uh, I think is yeah. the best way to put it. Just coming to the end of a story, no matter whether it was uh, a great read or a great watch that you'll go back to for the next multiple years or one and done, you'll never read it again. Um, it's, I'm trying to figure out the best way to word it. There's almost nothing like it, knowing that the story has ended and then on occasion when it gets renewed and additional parts get added to it, I, I tend to have very conflicted feelings. Uh, most of the time I'm at a point where I'm very happy and I have fond memories of uh, the first saga and how much I loved it. And there's always the nerves that whatever's being made now won't live up uh, yeah. to the same level that I have uh, the first in my memories. And so I'm always very much on the fence about that. Uh, and many times I'm pleasantly surprised mm -hmm. uh, and I end up finding a love for it just of my own. A lot of times I think it's a lot easier if even if you're taking the same world, but you go for a completely different story. If you start somewhere else in brand new characters and really mm -hmm. let it breathe as its own story connected kind of only in name and region to the previous story, I think that's the best way to allow it to feel as its own story and not have to be compared to the original. That makes sense. Like, uh, an example of that would be like, the children of the main characters and mm -hmm. then like having them do their own thing would that be or like or somebody in another kingdom I even think that could like using the children can have some expectation uh mm. of and and that in itself can be very interesting uh stakes for the story of having to live up to like the reputation of your parents um but i think at that point uh i as a reader or watcher would be much more likely to compare the two Mm. Um, if it were something that, like, if I've got two continents separated by the ocean, and in the first story, continent A is where it all takes place, and continent B is only kind of mentioned, uh, then really having it be primarily in continent B in the second series uh, will help it feel more its own. You can mention continent A, maybe have a part where they go to continent A and have some callbacks to that series, uh, and at that point, it'll definitely it to me, feels a lot more like a tribute. Um, and I feel less uh, inspired to compare the two. I think that an example of something that I uh, I felt was just such a disappointment to my childhood <laughs> was, um, do you remember that they they almost were able to make like an amazing Percy Jackson movie saga uh, are yes. you on the same page with this as me <laughs> yeah with, yeah like i i loved percy jackson um and and anybody who hadn't listened hadn't read the books they were like four or five books um about percy jackson and then there was another uh series um that was more um that was centered around like i think a female protagonist and there was like this whole other uh, saga that was kind of separate from Percy Jackson um and and like they had one movie and then they just never made another one and it was they so They actually made a second movie. Oh, they did? Mhm. Mm it was even worse. Oh no. 
But like it, everybody was talking about it like it was going to be like the next Harry Potter in terms of um, uh, attention and amount of people watching it and everything like that. So can you imagine like what it's like to be that uh, Rick Riordan and make such amazing books that so many kids? I like I have a signed copy of uh, the last um, I think the last Olympian uh, and. I don't know. Can like as you're in the obviously you're you're not uh, at the point of like being through your fifth book, <laughs> but um, can you imagine like in the work that you're doing now in 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 building the world that the idea of like having like almost pretty much like a once and done movie representation of your book it's it must be so disappointing. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Uh, oh, jeez. For me, as I'm writing, I actually like to play out a lot of the scenes in advance, almost as movie scenes in my head. Mm. Uh, it really helps for me to visualize what do the characters look like? How do they act? How do they represent what they're thinking? And that really paves a way for me to describe it well. On the flip side, I can't imagine anything I write ever getting turned into a full-length movie or anything like that. Um I think it has to be super humbling, uh, but also, like, I can't imagine really an author who gets a chance to have their work turned into a movie being anything but thankful, because uh, it's just such an amazing experience. Granted, I imagine you could have some trepidation, uh, as history has shown, not all adaptations end up terribly well, yeah, um, and there's the chance of almost feeling like your work has been bastardized. Mm. I there there are two things that I wanna quick talk to you about before we wrap up. Mm-hmm. And one is design related. Okay. And one is so much of a joke it's practically a meme. Uh-oh. So there's two. Okay. <laughs> so the first one um, is I I want you now that we're talking about your book and everything like that. Um, you said that you were making a card game as well as a book. Oh, geez. Do you uh, want to talk about that a little bit? <laughs> Not a card game, but a full oh, board game. A board game. Okay. Um, I have thought about designing a card game before. That's on the back burner for now. <laughs> Got too many other projects. So what is what is that whole process like? And and like, uh, tell me about uh, it. <laughs> Very unique. Um, I definitely, I started wanting to design a board game maybe five years ago. Uh, and I went through three or four different ideas before I settled on the one I'm currently working on. And I've been working on this one for about two years now. Wow. Uh, but it's very unique. And when I think back on it, my starting point was actually very akin to doing a rebrand for a company or just branding in general, where it's very much figuring out your audience originally. Um, like what's your target demographic? Uh, do you want the game to be more as a casual family game or really for a more dedicated group that'll spend three or four hours playing it, uh, to finish one game of it and figuring out all of that initially, uh, was very challenging. Uh, but I ended up getting to a point where I wanted a game that was, you know, somewhat complex, uh, more so that it's simple to learn, difficult to master, and people could really spend a lot of time learning it. 
but also played very quickly. Uh, I envisioned that each game would only take 20 to 30 minutes, allowing people to really play it repeatedly and have a lot of fun. Um, oh, I'm just... There's another thing. I My notes for all of my work is in like four different places. <laughs> um, uh, I'm in the point of the game now where I'm playtesting, and that's probably the most challenging part. I've got a lot of numbers going on and trying to figure out how to balance all of those to make it so it's fun and there isn't anything uh, super broken about it. Mm, okay um, so that's like like user testing but just over yes. and over again with yourself <laughs> uh with a couple people um okay ann and matt from school uh these are two oh, of our yes. friends to those who don't know uh from college uh, also and i uh, say his last name right uh and b-u-i b-u-i and <laughs> uh so. and uh, uh matt weiss mm-hmm. from uh yeah you can probably find their graphics design website literally just by googling their names yeah <laughs> Good friends, uh, also designers with us, and I may or may not have indoctrinated them into playing board games throughout college. <laughs> um, <laughs> I needed friends to play with. Yeah. Uh, but I very much got them on board with helping me play test for a while uh, when I had the time. And so that was very helpful to get ideas down. I haven't had the chance to do a lot of testing recently for it. Um. But I think I'm nearing the end of that phase where the game is mostly balanced and I can start really working on the design for it. Oh, wow. Um, and eventually, eventually, I'll theoretically have, you know, a board game published, a book published, and be doing graphic design work full time. Wow. Well, when when that all happens, you'll have to let me know. I Of course. I have kind of like a weird thing to admit to you after like listening to all of this about board games and me being like really excited about the idea and the design of it and everything like that is um, uh, whenever anybody asks me to play a board game personally, I like I'm, I never want to join. I always want to like <laughs> sit with them while they're playing. But the thing that I'm like scared about, I don't know if it's like a personal thing, is that I'm afraid that um I'm going to forget the rules and mess up and then like mm. mess up the whole game. And so I, I'm always like afraid to play card games or board games or anything that I'm not super familiar with. Um, so, so I, I can see how like user testing and making sure that, um, that nothing, there's no hiccups or anything like that because, um, uh, I'm totally someone that, uh, if, if I mess up a game, once I'm like never gonna want to play it again because I'm gonna be like embarrassed to put in front of like all these people that I'm getting to know. I think that's when it becomes really important to, uh, not necessarily know who you're playing with really well, but like be friends with them. Uh, even when I play games, some of the games I've been playing for years, played dozens of time, and for the most part know like the back of my hand. There are times that my friends and I will just completely blank on the rules. Uh, or if mm. one of us blanks on the rules, sometimes we'll go back to the rule book uh, and figure it out. Other times we just go, whatever sounds fun, <laughs> and we just do it and mess around. Uh, yeah. And I think that's part of the magic of board games is that ability to, like, there isn't any consequence for messing up. Yeah. Sometimes you can mess up purposefully in order to win. <laughs> I think other that's people call that cheating, thing. but... <laughs> They call that winning? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
you know, steal in, a, a in couple of games. hundreds in Monopoly, and who's going to know? <laughs> but, um, so yeah, that that was my, my thing that I wanted to tell you about, and I wanted to talk about your board game. Um, and the last question that I have for you before we wrap up and do our outros is, um, is NASCAR a sport? <laughs> Why do you do this to me? <laughs> no, NASCAR is not a sport. According to the group I was placed in for my Web3 class, uh, <laughs> if you go to the other group that had to argue it was a sport, then yes, it is. So do you want to give a little context on why I brought that up? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so near the end of, I want to say junior year, right before the pandemic. Yeah, it was right around when the pandemic was hitting. I was in uh, a Web3 class, which was an elective and more really more meant for seniors to take. I managed to get into it somehow. Um, and it was UI UX, uh, really focused on JavaScript, which isn't something that is a big focus at Drexel for the graphic design major, at least. And for our final project, we were put into groups, uh, where we had to argue whether or not NASCAR was a sport and whether or not pigs made good pets. There were four groups in total. What? Uh, and my, yeah, <laughs> uh, my group was in charge of arguing that NASCAR was not a sport. Um, it was actually a very fun project, uh, to do. Working with my team went really well. I think our team was like the one team that didn't have any problems. Nice. So I'm super grateful for that. Um, but, uh, if you had to ask me otherwise, unfortunately, going off of dictionary definition or like definition in general, NASCAR would be considered a sport. I'm loath to admit it purely because I had to argue against it. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I finally got your uh, your honest answer on whether oh, NASCAR well. is a sport. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and uh, hanging out with me. It's been uh, really fun. And thanks for answering all of my uh, totally off-topic questions and uh, indulging me on that. <laughs> of course. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, well, so the way that I end, uh, just uh, if people uh, listen all the way to the end and want to uh, hear more about us or maybe like they want to contact us or anything like that, I always add that here. And I also add that to the description um, mm. of the, the podcast. Um, so I'll start first just to show you how I do it and then we'll end with you. Oh, thanks. Sounds good. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Okay. So, um, uh, Hi. Uh, my name is Emily Giordano, uh, that's spelled G-I-O-R-D-A-N-O, <laughs> and I am a uh, web uh, designer and web flow developer, and so I make and develop websites, um, uh, all different kinds, like whether it's uh, a static website where it's just a bunch of pages, or it's something that's really developed, maybe a membership website where people uh, pay to use your website and have an account and a lot more advanced. So there's a whole bunch of different things um, that I do, uh, and you can, uh, reach out to me, uh, in my email, which is emily, E-M-I-L-Y, at greatdesignlead.com, or you can find my website, which is greatdesignlead.com. Um, recently I've been getting, uh, some messages from other, uh, web designers and web flow developers, uh, saying that they have a lot of work on their hands and wanting to know if I can, help out um so absolutely i can help out uh on a contract basis whether it's designing and developing or if it's just developing um yeah i'd be happy to help out and 
uh, um, I can talk to you then. But uh, but yeah, so that that's me. And uh, if you want to uh, reach out to Andrew, uh, maybe hire him, maybe uh, hear more about him, hire him for just a project or a full time job. Um, you can hear about him now. <laughs> yeah. Um, once again, my name is Andrew Johnson. Uh, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, I suppose most basic boring name in existence. Um, I am currently doing freelance design work, uh, developing a board game and writing a novel. Uh, but I'm always open to work and happy too. If you're interested in checking out my website, it is andrewjdesigns.myportfolio.com. And if you would like to reach out directly to me, it is andrew.johnson. 2417 at gmail.com. Uh, my primary strengths, I suppose, are in packaging and exhibition design, though I do quite a lot of marketing and a bit of web development also. Uh, and I'm always happy to meet uh, if anyone is interested. All right. Well, that it's been great talking to you. And I guess this is until next time. All right. Until next time. Thank you. <laughs>